Welcome back to TKW's draft season presented by TKW and Wessel Sports. I am your co-host, Jay Ryan, and I am joined, of course, by my co-host, Nick Ronti. What's up, man? You know, I am happy to be here, as always. I'm excited for this one. This is a prospect I'm looking forward to talking about. And to help us introduce this prospect, we have Eli Cohen. What's going on, Eli? Hey, I'm, I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, like Nick said, I'm pretty excited to talk about this too. We got a fun guy today. Cool. So we're going to switch gears this episode and get back to doing a deep dive of a specific prospect. Um, so this episode, we're going to be looking at Kier Lewis Jr. He's a 6'3 guard who played two years at Alabama. Um, to give you a quick rundown, like I usually do stats wise, he... This past 19 to 20 season averaged 18 and a half points, almost five rebounds, five assists, uh, shot 46% from the field, 36, 37% from the three, 80% from the line. Um, one thing I did notice um, looking at his stats from freshman to sophomore year is he improved in every single category, which obviously you like to see scored over a thousand points over his two years. Um, I think one interesting note is that he played for two different coaches in Avery Bradley and Nate Oates um, at Alabama. So Eli, what, first give us your kind of overall, maybe elevator pitch for, for Kira. All right, elevator pitch. So he's the flat out fastest player in the draft. He has a really interesting mix of shooting and live ball passing where he's not, you know, he's not an elite anticipatory passer like LaMelo or Killian Hayes or even maybe like Tyrese Halliburton, but his ability to pass with either hand, like basically going at full speed, which again is the fastest speed in the class is really interesting to me. And I think it's sort of, makes up some of the deficits he has in his like instincts as a playmaker. Um, and then, you know, having someone with those athletic gifts who can shoot, who can both be like an off ball shooter and has, you know, some upside as a pull-up shooter is kind of unique. Um, you know, Ja had a little bit of that, but like Darren Fox didn't really have it. He's like, he's sort of in that mold. I think he's a little bit lesser of a prospect than both of them because he doesn't have the vertical athleticism, but all in all, I mean, he's really well-rounded. He's, he's super skinny, so he's going to get pushed around on defense, but he works really hard. And I think if you have, like, size, athleticism, and work hard, like, he's at least not going to be someone who's targeted, you know, throughout his career. He's not going to be some Trey Young kind of massive negative on that end. And, Nick, what, uh, what are your favorite parts of Kara's game? Well, I think uh, Eli said it as we were kind of doing our introductions here. He's just fun. There's, there's a lot of things I like about his game, but like just 
he is really, really fun to watch. And I like watching guys that are fun to watch. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of simple for me. I mean, his speed is just well, – however you feel about the eye test, you know, Kerry Lewis passes it just because of the, the speed alone just jumps off the screen. Like, he looks so much faster than every other player on the court when you watch him. And that's exciting, and he does bring a, an interesting style of playmaking because of that. And kind of like what Eli said with, with the versatility, that, that does give you some options for, for what an offense can look like with him. But really just that, that straight-line speed is just exhilarating. Yeah, for sure. I think I brought this up uh, probably on the main pod, and it feels like forever ago, but I think it was kind of more when – either college was going on or just as it was ending. Um, my only, like, obviously you love to see the speed. You, that's obviously a plus to have, but some of the plays you watch, some of his highlights, part of me's like, okay, but when is that ever actually going to happen in an NBA game? But I do see where the speed, I mean, it's always going to be a factor, right? And you're going to get some quick, easy buckets in the NBA, depending on who you're playing. But um, I kind of wanted to dive a little bit past that, right? Just past the, the eye test of the speed. So I went, cause I mean, admittedly, I didn't watch a ton of Alabama except to see him. Alabama's not at the top of my, <laughs> my list to watch during the college season. Right. So usually I just like to, to do a general overview of looking at stats and stuff, look at who they played you know, the best or who he played the best against, especially within conference, which, um, Alabama went eight and 10 in the SEC, not terrible. Um, points wise, his best game was versus Georgia. We know they really didn't believe in defense. I don't think this past year, but, uh, he did have 37 points on 21 field goal attempts, including three, uh, three of six from three and adding 10 points from the line. And I also liked what he did against Auburn who they were second in the SEC just behind Kentucky they split during the regular season, won one, lost one. Um, the first game was the win, and his biggest contribution was scoring with 25 points. And then the loss was actually an OT loss. He only had 10 points, but he added 10 rebounds and 13 assists for a triple-double. And I think that's where my eyes kind of lit up about him, right? Um, playing the second-best team in the conference, playing against – guys who we know are really good at Auburn and getting a triple double. It was a loss is I think it was four point OT loss. I mean, nothing to hang, hang your head about. Um, so is, is that versatility something that you see really translating Eli? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I think it is. And I actually had a similar, I, I went back and rewatched his game against Kentucky mm-hmm. recently in like preparation for this pod and just general they only played uh, Kentucky once this year, right? They, they only played it once and it was a, it was a really tight game and it was similar because he didn't have his greatest game against them. In fact, he had like kind of a poor game. He had 10 points on four of 11 shooting um, going up against, you know, one of the best on ball defenders that he faced in Hagen's and Maxi, another really good defender. And then going up against a really interesting and deadly shooter in Emmanuel quickly. And I was really impressed by kind of like what you were talking about in the Auburn game, how even in a game where he struggled and wasn't really able to get the offense going, 
he really kind of controlled the pace of it. He helped his team so much. And just like, and on a floor where we all know that Kentucky just breeds NBA players. They just like turn them out. So that's, that's a lot of NBA level athletes. Even if this year wasn't one of their better teams, they, they have NBA athletes. And he was by far like the most fluid athlete. He, no one could stay in front of him. And so I think that like, that was one of those games where it's like, oh, he can do this against anyone. He can do this against NBA athletes. He can just, he can get to the rim. Now, when he gets to the rim, there are issues. And mm -hmm. in that game, one of the issues was that he was passing up looks and refusing to like try to draw contact because he's, that's what he does. He doesn't really want to draw contact. He has a really low free throw attempt rate, but his ability to get to the rim and then collapse the defense and then make really interesting kickout reads. I thought in a game where he was struggling, he still kind of controlled the pace of the game for his team and kept his team in it just by all the other little things he was doing. So I, I really think that his versatility in that way, like even when he's not scoring, he really shows up and he really like makes teams adjust to his blend of speed and skill. Sure. Um, Nick, what do you, what do you think are, you know, Eli was touching on not being able to take contact or not wanting to take contact. What else do you see that are kind of some of his holes? Yeah, I was actually thinking about that earlier, Jess, because when, when you said like, will he, will that speed be able to, you know, do the things that he did in college at the NBA level? And I, I think I just want to reiterate kind of what, what Eli was saying is like, that's the one thing I believe in, but there are other things that I do have a lot of questions about specifically the, the body and, and going to the basket is one of them as, as Eli kind of touched on. I think there are a couple other things besides just defensive. I'm a, I'm a little worried about not if his speed will translate to the NBA, but if he can play with that, that pace, like he can be a little reckless at times. And that is something that concerns me at a faster paced game in the NBA. Mm -hmm. Will he be able to, to slow down and play with enough control? I don't love his playmaking. And I, I do have some questions on that. Where, how will he look as a, as a primary playmaker in the NBA? Mm -hmm. and obviously just, you know, the defense and size are, are things that, are just always going to be there for him. Right. Now you talking about – oh, go ahead, Eli. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say um, to one of those points that Nick was making, and this actually kind of goes back to what you were saying just in your introduction where you were talking about how he improved mm -hmm. in every category from year one to year two. But one thing that I thought was interesting uh, is he seemed to improve a lot just from the beginning of year two to the end of year two. And the place that I felt like it showed up when I was watching the games from early, like I went, I watched like his Rhode Island game versus some of those later games that Kentucky and Auburn, et cetera. And that change of pace was starting to show up more and more. And that to me was like the single most encouraging because that for me, like opens up everything for him. If he puts a hesitation on, there's no one who can catch up to him. And you started to see that more and more and like him getting crafty, sort of taking like longer routes to the basket that allowed him to just like, flank the defenders basically um mm -hmm. and so that was that was an interesting growth curve that i i saw that I, that really kind of you know it, it hinted at much more 
unrealized upside there for me. And I, th I think it's interesting that you bring it up because there are some things that, you know, he necessarily, like his size is always going to be an, be an issue. I mean, he could put on some, some weight, but also he doesn't really have a frame that, that's going to be able to support that. I do think his, his change of pace and that sort of thing are things that are potential. There's a, a potential for improvement there. Like you just said, like, you started to see it. Maybe I'm, I'm a little biased. I did just watch, in preparation for this, I watched the Rhode Island game. But I, I do think that those are things that are important to talk about where when you're talking about his ceiling and where he could get to, those are things that he can improve upon. Now, you guys talking about, you know, his speed and being able to kind of hone that in and use it to his advantage Nick, I know you said you have a comp for him, and one just came into my head because of it that is a non-basketball player, and I, I'm wondering if it's the same person, and I feel like there's a very good shot it is, so I need you to tell me who the comp is. All right, so this is an And if it's, this, if it's the same one, I'm going to flip out. Um, this comp is a athlete, but not a basketball player, and yep. not a real person. Check and, and check. It is Luis Mendoza. Yes, of the yes. <laughs> Literally, as you were talking about it, I was like, wait a second. I know exactly who this is going to be right now. Except for a second in my head, I had Benny the Jet because it's the same actor, but not Benny the Jet in the Mighty Ducks. That's yeah, some Benny. real synergy right there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wouldn't ask her a better co-host from anyone, Jess. But I, for those of you unfamiliar with the, the Mighty Ducks trilogy, get familiar. But in D2, the Mighty Ducks, Luis Mendoza from Miami joins, joins the, the Junior Goodwill Games Olympic hockey team, and he is a, the fastest skater in the world and cannot stop. Which is just so <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> but it's Disney. It's fine. And, but you see shades of that with, with Kira Lewis where he's going too fast. Yeah. And it's a problem because he cannot handle the speed or the, the rest of the game is not moving at that speed. And he can be a little reckless because of it. And that's my, my Luis Mendoza comp because of that. <laughs> but I, like Luis Mendoza, does learn to stop eventually. And I think Kira Lewis could, could control that a little bit as well. Yeah, I, I just, and I also, I'm always curious to know, like, who the best coaches are to help, like, does he need to work with someone who has had that type of speed? Like, I feel like you can only learn things like that from people who have the same type of skill set. Maybe you don't, maybe anyone can help him with that, but I'm always interested to see like what coaches could possibly, and maybe, or maybe it's just like basic training staff. I don't know. Um, it's always just interesting to me just to try to think about like who can actually and how you actually work on that, you know? Uh, but let's keep keep moving it uh, so it's funny I usually like to bring up where you know these players um, appear not only on our mock drafts at TKW but other ones and for t just looking at TKW there is a there there was a wide range where where he was picked in um, 1.0 Eli you actually picked him at 18 for the Mavs um, do you want to talk a little bit about what it went into that other than just, I mean, maybe it was just, he was best available, but. 
Yeah, I mean, it was a combination of that. Like that that slide was a little unexpected, especially considering it's a Knicks blog and we all <laughs> seem to sort of love him. Um, but like when you got to that point, like I've, I thought before he started rising up draft boards, I thought that he'd be a perfect target for them just because I think we learned as Dallas went on, like they did great in the bubble and in the playoffs, but it really seemed like they needed, you know, another ball handler, like someone who could yeah. make it a little bit less heliocentric of an offense. Luka and the needed fact, the, the heat taken off him a little bit. Luka needed the heat. And if you think about it as like, obviously the Rockets are very uh, controversial as a team, but like their idea of pairing the half court maestro and Harden with the fast break maestro and Westbrook has merit to it and so like if you get two young guys and you get a little bit <clears throat> a little bit less of the baggage that Harden and Westbrook bring but like they could have their own sort of style of that where both can actually shoot which is a huge addition um so I, I really thought that he would be kind of a perfect player to complement Luca, especially because of the shooting ability like I think that was sort of like the main thing is giving them someone who can change the pace give different looks to defenses but also can function in the half court while Luca, you know, does his Luca thing and steps back and dribbles around people. Sure. And then, yeah, that, oh, go ahead, Nick. That, that was one of my favorite drafts or my favorite draft picks from the 1.0 because I, I do think both of those guys would help maximize the other's potential. Totally. I do. I do. My biggest question with him, which is related to that, which I, is about him as an off ball player, because I think that a lot of times we think about like someone who can shoot and then immediately are like, well, they're a good off ball player. But I, I you know, it's, it's interesting watching that team. He didn't they, like, they had a lot of times where he didn't have the ball in his hand because you have, you know, you have uh, with it, Herb, Herb Jones and um, John Petty and what, what's his name? Uh, Beetle Bolden. Mm -hmm. having the ball in their hands beetle bolden who, by the way was like one of my least favorite players to watch in college basketball <laughs> this year um but he didn't really you wouldn't really see him doing all that much like he wasn't you cut a little bit but he and i wondered if that was because like those guys sort of while they were all capable scorers with the ball in their hands like none of them are great decision makers so he wouldn't get rewarded on his cuts very often um but so i do wonder like if in you guys is watching of him if you think he has potential to be like like he's not like you know nico Mannion where he's like you know relocating all the time and you know flying off of screen so i wonder what what do you guys think about his off ball game nick what you got i think that's interesting because i think the way he's kind of talked about and and looked at in a lot of the places that he's mocked to would require him to be more off ball as opposed to, I think that, you know, he, and I think he has the capability for it. I don't think in watching Alabama, you see a, a lot of it in a positive way. And I don't know if that is just because the personnel they had or, or what that is. I like the theoretical idea of, of him as an off ball player. Yeah. I mean, I think, playing off ball and having that type of speed and playing off ball. And just, I think about, um, honestly, and he doesn't have this speed, but just within like the using the lack of dribbles and getting a shot off, like obviously Duncan Robinson absolutely blew up the, these playoffs and Kira using the, his speed and 
I could see him being a guy that literally wouldn't have to maximize his number of dribbles to get a shot off just because I feel like he could use that speed to get open really quickly and get a, if he can get that shot off quickly, um, it could, could be beneficial. Um, it's just hard to say, like you're saying, Eli, either it's, it, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with the people that he had around him and the kind of little bit lack of playmaking around him uh, to utilize that, that cutting and, and things like that, that we see from him. So it would definitely be interesting to see him having someone like Luca feeding him the ball and what they could do um, in that scenario. Um, and then we jumped to the mock draft 2.0 and Q actually picked him for the Knicks at eight. Um, so 18 to eight, a, a big jump for our boy. The Knicks, you know, get hopefully a, a lead guard. I will say as the person who controlled the Knicks picks in 1.0. Yeah. He would, I went with Devin Vassell, but it was between the two of them on that, that mock for me. And it's crazy that like Eli was saying that he dropped to 18 after the fact, but, um, and I'll kind of, I'm going to couple this also with a mock draft that we saw today uh, from Bleacher Report and Jonathan Wasserman, um, because he also went to the Knicks in this, but it involved, a bit of a trade. Um, it was the Knicks trading the eight pick to the Celtics for 14, 26, and Tremont Waters, and then selecting Kira at 14. Um, let's not even take into consideration the other players that were picked uh, for the Knicks, but if Kira is their first pick, are, are we at least considering that quote-unquote a success on draft night yes somebody asked me yesterday what my best case is for this next draft and I said if Denny doesn't fall to them it's trade down and take care of mm-hmm. I, I think that's a, a huge win now I think it can, it can be debated whether they should be targeting a point guard in the draft as they've been reportedly interested in doing so obviously there's a lot of speculation around the point guard position for the Knicks going forward whether it's a, a free agent like Van Vliet or a trade like Chris Paul or a trade in the draft like Lamelo. I, I think point guard is clearly uh, a priority to the Knicks front office and has been talked about ad nauseum now. And while I don't necessarily know if that's, that's how I'd be prioritizing the Knicks needs, I think if they could take care, especially if you trade down and take him and fill a need while acquiring another asset with the kind of player that that Kira is and has the potential to be I I really think that would be a huge win for the Knicks Eli what do you think yeah I agree I the only addition I would say is for me it's if Denny or Killian I I actually did I did say Denny or Killian but for the sake of my brand as the number one Denny guy right for sure of course I wanted to just leave it at Denny but yeah, so it would be really painful for me to see Killian still on the board and not take him because I think that he is worth, I, I mean, it's a question of, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if he's worth like the, because with this trade, they get two assets, which because I think Tremont Waters was an interesting player this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're able to get us, you're able to get the 14th pick and pick up Kira plus another pick in the draft, which you could maybe even use, you know, 26 and 27 
to move up into like the low twenties and target someone else. Um, plus an interesting young point guard prospect in his own right. Like, I mean, I think it's hard to, hard to look at that and not be happy, but you know, my, in my heart, I'd be a little sad that we didn't take Killian, but like in ter- just in terms of assets, I think that's a huge win. And I think that that is definitely the kind of deal they should be looking at. And yeah, just that- to, just Nick real quick, just to give the full picture with that 14th pick, Killian was still on the board. That's why you guys are bringing it up. I think, right? Yeah. Yep. He was available at, at eight, right? Right, at eight. Or eight, at eight. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, he was available at yeah, eight, and then they traded back. That was my issue when I looked through that as well, because I was at first glance, I was like, wow, that's, you know, getting the draft pick, Waters, and, and moving down to still take care would be fantastic. Trading trading down with Killian on the board would be really hard for me to, to support. But with that being said, Eli said they could, you know, package 26 and 27. That was a, a really good package to move back up to the early 20s or late teens. Also, there are – that gives them two chances to, to fill a need with one of maybe the, the high floor guys we talked about last week. If a, a guy like Desmond Bain or, or that was there at 26 and 27, you get two shots at that to be able to fill that need in the 3 and D type role while still getting the, the playmaking and uh, care would be a really nice fit. Yeah, so for the Bleacher Report mock draft, they took – um, at 26 and 27, they took Leonardo Bolmero from Barcelona, who I mean, I'm guessing would be a draft and stash at least at first. And then, he's, yeah, he's confirmed for the next year in, in Spain. And then Ramsey from Texas Tech, who I don't think either of you guys really love that pick. Ramsey's one of those guys. He's like maybe one of the main guys towards the end of the draft that I re- or the end of the first round that I really just like can't peg at all. Like there, there he does have the outline of a really valuable player. Like he can like a shot creator who is like built really big and broad from the guard spot who should be able to play some good defense. But I just yeah I don't know. I've 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 seen like a few games of his and I just haven't seen it click fully. Um, so I, I can't say I'm like fully out on him, but when you have guys like, like Nick said, like Desmond Bain still available, like, I, I think that there would be ways that I would be much happier going than Jemias Ramsey. Where do you think is the lowest the Knicks could draft back and still get Kira? I feel like this is right around right there. I, I don't know if he's gonna go I would be surprised if he got further than like the magic have the 15th pick right so I would be really shocked if he got below 15. Mm-hmm. I, and I could see like I could see New Orleans targeting him at 13. he doesn't seem likely for sack but like I think somewhere in that range is about as low as I could see him dropping. I'm cool with him going to sack and putting a Darren Fox Lewis <laughs> just back backcourt why not just outrun everybody literally that'd be crazy i don't even you literally wouldn't even be able to like see them on the court just be like (laughs) oh man um so i think that's all i have on here is there anything you guys want to add just overarching thoughts on him i guess i had more of a question than a thought okay uh that came up while I was looking at this because I know Nick, you said you're lower on the playmaking 
And I, whereas like I, I'm lower on like the mental aspect of the playmaking, but high on the practical ability of him to get passes off at basically any angle at full speeds. Like I, I think I find that that to, in my mind like makes up some of the difference between him as like seeing the floor as a high level facilitator, just because he's able to make the passes. And I feel like with time in the league, you know, the reads will start to come easier and easier. So I guess, so my question is where, like, if I said Kira is the blank best passer in this draft class, where would you fill in that blank? Cause like, so, and, and really to me, the question is him is like Halliburton. Cause obviously Halliburton has like much better vision, but it seems much less like realizable in ways. So yeah, so where are you guys at with that? I'm going fifth. Fifth? Who you got above him? Lamelo and Killian are the clear one and two. Okay. Halliburton at three, and then Denny at four. Denny? Yeah. I thought you might say Bomaro. I, I knew he was going to be an international guy. You knew yeah, Denny had to be there. And I would probably have Bomaro six behind, behind Kira. I don't think it's impossible that he gets there. But I, I don't – I would need to see more to believe it at the next level. Yeah, I mean, I think anywhere in that four to six range makes sense. Um, I just – I wish there was going to be more, more of a combine, more of seeing these guys just play against each other just to see what they're – I mean, I also just – it's been how many months since college basketball ended where I just need to see some of these guys play flat out and just like see what they do and also see how they use this time that so many of them, you know, either went back home and worked with trainers there, or I know some are just like staying in like LA or Vegas or something and, and working out with various trainers. So I'm very curious to see if we can see a big difference in some guys um hopefully all good differences and not something crazy like that video we talked about last episode (laughs) um interested to see how guys utilized this time to to get better and what they decided to really focus on to to get better um it should be interesting yeah and i want to touch on that because i do think Kara is one of the guys that misses out from that sort of typical draft season no pun intended because of his speed and I think some of his measurables I think he's someone that has already moved up draft boards a lot from when we first started talking about this at the beginning of draft season in like February or March Jess and I think that could continue to get him more in that concrete mid to late lottery you know from the that kind of range from the Knicks to the the Celtics pick there I think that's where he could kind of end up in, in the mocks. And I don't know if he's quite there yet, but I, I do think he would have really shined in some of those pre-drop workout situations. Yeah, I totally agree. And I also think it's interesting, just going back to what you were saying, because I actually wrote an article for the Knicks wall that was about exactly what you're talking about, about you know this unprecedented amount of time between the end of these prospects playing and the draft. Uh, and I wrote it sort of through the vantage point of the RJ Hampton, like shot stuff, like him mm-hmm. working on a shot with Mike Miller, which 
you know, it's, it's, it's clear that there are improvements. It's unclear how much the improvements are, but it's interesting because like for, for Kira, to me, those, that time is a little bit, it's not that that's not valuable because he can absolutely be working on stuff like change of pace and his shot and just like defensive fundamentals. But I feel like he was a guy who like it, a tournament run would have been really important, like getting, yeah. getting some more college. Cause he, I feel like he just needs as many reps like in game as possible. Cause you know, we, he's still one of the youngest players in the draft, even though he's a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like he's got this like very positive growth curve. So I think he's one of the guys who I feel like has been negatively impacted the most by the end of college season happening prematurely. Yeah. yeah. And Jess, Jess, I'll go to you here as, as the, really the college basketball expert of the, the three of us, but I, I don't know. I, had we gotten a, a tournament, I think I would have had Alabama going far purely because of Kerry Lewis. And I, I really think he could have got a huge spotlight on him on a run. I think he definitely, I mean, he definitely could have gone like Kemba mode, right? And just like putting the team on his back and run yeah, other teams he, out the gym. Or that right. Aaron Fox bump that he got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't, I mean, I really like Nate Oates as a coach. And I think they were kind of trending up a little bit last year. Um, so I don't know. I don't know how far they would have gone. I don't know where they would have been seated, but it it definitely would have been interesting. They definitely could have been, I'm guessing, on like one of those teens lines and maybe it wasn't an up, maybe not an, or maybe not an upset first round, but maybe second round, something like that, get to the Sweet 16, definitely would have given Kira a bump for sure. Because if they did something like that, there's no doubt it would have been because of him. Yeah, and I think we a lot of times look at guards going into because of the Kemba, mm-hmm. the Kemba of it all. And I think he would have been on that predictive, like this guy can have a Kemba run. He would have been on that list when you know Bleacher Report does that article. Yeah. And I also think because of his his speed and play style, he would have had some some real highlight moments for the for the one shining moment montage. Yeah. I also wonder if playing in such like a modern three-point heavy system with so many shooters is going to help him like we all know like the growth curve for point guards especially young athletic point guards it can be a little bit rough but I wonder if that could help like ease the transition into the next level because it's like he's already playing a pretty NBA heavy like offensive style yeah which I think is very interesting especially compared to some of the guys that like you know Kentucky and other places that weren't featuring the three-point shot as heavily for sure. I'm, I'm also glad you mentioned him because I've been trying to figure out a way all all podcasts, but I'd be remiss if we were talking about Alabama basketball without shouting out Nate Oates, who's really one of my favorite coaches in college basketball. Yeah, he's cool, for sure. Uh, RIP March Madness 2020. We never had you. I'm, I'm now sad. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's a good place to stop on Kira. Eli, thank you for joining us. You Thanks can, for having me. I had a great time. Of course. You can check out Eli on Twitter at it's T Half Court Press, right? Just letter it's T. T Half Court Press, indeed. Nailed it. Um, 
I think, did you drop an article today? What else you got coming out for the next uh, one? Yesterday, uh, a profile on Malachi Flynn, who is another like super interesting point guard prospect to be looking at in the end of the first. Might be, I called him maybe the most underrated prospect in the draft and I, I stand by it. So yeah, go Nick check that out. Nick hates it. Nick hates it. Nick hates <laughs> it so much. It just makes my blood boil, but I'm going to check out the article because I'm sure it's fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, and yeah, we'll definitely have you back for, for some more deep dives. We'll see see where we're at here. Um, Absolutely. Nick, do you, do you have anything on the docket? Anything to plug? Not yet, but hopefully by the time we next record, I will have something in the works uh, that I'm writing. So Cool. And as always, I have nothing to promote because I am not a writer. I just talk, uh, which, you know, I'm happy with. Writing was never my strong suit. Uh, you can, like I said, you can follow Eli at T Half Court Press, Nick, not the fake NC with underscores under it. He really didn't think about me and our co hosting abilities when creating that Twitter <laughs> handle. And then, Scott Van Pelt. but Scott Van Pelt doesn't use underscores. Well, my initials are more common than his. <laughs> oh. It's a fair point. Fair. Okay. Well, get a less common name. I don't know. And of course, you can follow me at jron44. Make sure you're following the Knicks wall. Obviously, we've got all the draft coverage you could ever want since it feels like drafts, the, the actual draft season has been for literal ever. Um, but yeah, we will catch you all next time. <laughs>